the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's parents to announce his future birth and God's call on his life. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 13, verse 2. Once again, that's Judges chapter 13, verse 2. Verse 2. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. Now, since Israelites considered children a gift from God, they viewed barrenness as a mark of divine disfavor, like you were cursed by God. So in their mind, according to everyone, even God was against them. Maybe you're in a situation like that right now. You need to know, know that you know that you know, the Lord loves you. And he wants to speak truth and hope to you, just like he does to this hurting couple here. Now, he says, behold, now you that are barren and bear not, you shall conceive and bear a son. This wasn't just for her own benefit. He will be for Israel's benefit. And therefore, they have the all-important task of raising him uniquely so that he can be the leader that Israel will need. And so in verse 4, he explains that calling that's upon this kid's life. Now, therefore, beware, which means be careful, pay close attention, I pray you, and drink not wine nor strong drink nor eat any unclean thing. Now, Israelis were not banned from drinking alcohol ever, but they were banned from eating unclean animals. So the fact that the angel had to mention this in addition to everything else he's going to say shows how far Israel had fallen during this period that they were eating unclean animals. It's funny, if you go to Israel, they do have some hogs that are in the wild, but given the fact that they are unclean animals to Israelites, to Jewish people, and also to Muslims, who are the primary large populations there, Basically, you can find a dead pig on the road from time to time, and nobody touches them because they don't hurt them. Nobody uses them. Everyone's allowed to kill it if they see one, and then they just leave it there because it's unclean and no one wants to pollute themselves. So it's sad because this is a different Israel we're studying right here than even the one that lives today. They had these animals around, and they were eating them and interacting with them. So he reminds her, he says, none of that. Why? For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son and he'll be unique. For no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. The word Nazarite, it means a consecrated one, a devoted one. 
The normal Nazarite vow is found in Numbers 6, verses 1 through 12. But the idea behind the Nazarite vow is a man or a woman would take this vow when they wanted to dedicate a period of time of their choosing. It wasn't like it had to be three months or six months. It was a time of their choosing to be set apart for the Lord. They would say, God, I'm giving you the next two weeks, or God, I'm giving you the next three months, or God, I'm giving you the next six months or the next year. This could be for the purpose of serving God. Maybe you'd help out in the tabernacle or the temple later on. You could be for the purpose of serving the people around you or just a purpose of getting away with the Lord to seek him. But the point was, is you were dedicating a period of time to do that thing, that that would be your main focus. And when you made that commitment, you made this vow to the Lord, it would come with three prohibitions. Number one, you had a stricter diet. You could have no alcohol, nor could you eat any grapes. Number two, you could not cut your hair. You had to just let it grow. And then number three, you could have no contact with a dead body, even family. This was a time that was 100% dedicated to God. It cost you something. It cost you something on what you could partake of. It cost you your physical appearance, and it cost you in your physical proximity to those you loved if someone happened to pass away. So it was something people didn't just do randomly. It's interesting when we see in the New Testament where Paul talks about he had to stay somewhere because he had shaved his head because he had a vow. At the end of the vow, that's what you would do. You would cut off all your hair and you would present the hair to the Lord as a symbol of the offering of however long that was, the last two weeks or three months that you served him. And that you were saying, God, that was all because I love you. This child's vow would start at birth and last until his death. His entire existence would be consecrated, dedicated to one thing. And that's right here. For he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Now you say, why begin? The word there, begin, means to launch the rescue process. He will launch the rescue process. In other words, He will not finish it, someone else will, but he will launch the rescue process. So his entire life would be dedicated to this from birth till death. Now, not only is she going to get a son, but this boy would lead them and the rest of their nation to the beginnings of their freedoms from the Philistine clutches. Talk about some great news for her. Now, here's the truth, guys. She had no clue that her day was going to be like this. When she woke up that morning, it looked like every morning that came before. Pain, hardship, disappointment, struggle, I'm cursed by God. It was like every other morning. She had no clue this was going to happen. That is why you and I must never, ever lose hope. We must always choose the path of trusting Jesus. Yes, The waves might be smashing against your boat right now. And yes, the boat may be filling with water. But all it takes is one word from Jesus to calm the storm or to bring the boat to shore. And while he's not doing that, he's right there in the boat with you, even if it looks like he's sleeping. We are never, ever alone. Now, as you can imagine, this was great news. So she goes to tell her husband at home, verse 6. And the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not where he was from, neither did he tell me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine or strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. 
For the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now she comes home and she explains. She goes, the craziest thing happened. I met this guy and you know what? If I didn't know any better, I'd think he was an angel. He was terrible. The word there means awesome in the idea of wow, but also a little fearful, a little dreadful. So something was different about this prophet that came to her, you know? And so she explains to him, she goes, you know, he told me all these things, but then she mentioned, she goes, I didn't get his name. Now, why would that be important that she didn't get his name? Well, confirming messages like this was a big deal to Israelites, even when they were far from God. When God called Moses to deliver Israel, what was his first question? His first question was, who are you? Whom shall I say has sent me to my people? What shall I tell them your name is? And that's where we get the famous phrase, tell them I am that I am, Jehovah. I am that I am has sent you. The becoming one, he who becomes to his people what his people need him to be. I am the Lord God, the one who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that same God. So Moses knew that even when the people were far from God. So it's only natural that her husband would want to somehow confirm this prophetic claim. Let's look him up. Is he a good one or is he a bad one? Oh, he's got three-star rating. Let's, I don't know about this, honey. So she doesn't know where the prophet's from or even his name. So what are they going to do with this? I mean, it could be anybody. Remember when Jehoshaphat, the king, he went to go visit King Ahab, and they were going to go fight against Israel's mutual enemies with Judah. And Ahab calls in all the prophets of Baal, and they start doing their thing. One guy pretends he's got horns, and he's like, like a bull, you're going to gore your enemies, or whatever. And the king of Ahab's going, yeah, that's great. Ah, yeah. And King Jehoshaphat looks at me and goes, is there a prophet of the Lord here? Do you have anybody that was a prophet of the Lord? And Ahab, of course, goes, yeah, we have one, but everything he says to me is bad. I don't like him. He never has anything good to say to me. So what are they going to do? How do they know if this guy's good or not? Well, verse 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord, and he said, O my Lord, let the man of God which you did send come again to us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. You know, it's interesting. He could have ignored the situation. He could have just said, whatever, honey. I, 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 you know. He could have just said, well, if it happens, happens. He could have gotten angry like Jephthah. One more headache in my troubled life. But he didn't. He prayed. And ask you, is that your reaction when you don't know what to do with something God says? Do you seek him out? Well, what's even more awesome is what Manoah prays. He said, Lord, teach us. Show us what to do. The word there means to instruct or to give guidance. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, well, wasn't the instruction pretty clear. He's a Nazarite. And the instructions were clear, but they wanted to get this right. And they wanted confirmation that this was indeed the Lord. How different a choice from what Jephthah made. Jephthah made everything about him, what he'd done, how he was being wrong, how he deserved better. In contrast, Manoah takes what's been placed onto his lap and he returns it to the Lord. And when you do that, God will answer, just like he did for Manoah. Verse 9, And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. You know, there are prayers that God won't hear. God doesn't hear unbiblical prayers. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, God won't hear my prayers. First Peter 3, 7 mentions, If you're not being understanding, 
with your wife, then your prayers will be hindered. So there are prayers that God won't hear. But this is a very humble prayer. And God will always give grace to the humble. If you want to have confidence in prayer, there are some factors as it regards our attitude in prayer. Number one, humility. That's an attitude we all need to have in prayer. Number two, we need to trust the Lord. We need to look to Him for the answers. I found so much more peace in just trusting the Lord, saying, you're my God. You love me enough you died for me. Surely you can help me figure out if I should take this course of action or not. Surely you can speak to me and my wife about what to do as we are seeking your face. So trust. Thirdly, if you want to have confidence in prayer, you need to align your request with what God's revealed as His will and His Word. We know that we have the things that we request of Him if we pray in His name and His will. But praying in His name also means aligning our prayers with Jesus' character. So praying, what is God like? I imagine if Jephthah said, Lord, what are you like? What are you like, Lord? I pray you give me strength to start a civil war with my brothers, the Ephraimites. I imagine he probably would have went, huh, you're not like that, God. <laughs> Maybe that's not your will here. Maybe I shouldn't be praying that. Maybe I should be praying about something else. Well, God hearkened unto the voice of Manoah, verse 9, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. Again, I don't know why she's out there, why she's sitting, but she's there. But Manoah, her husband, is not with her. So the woman, she sees him coming, and she made haste and ran and showed, reported it to her husband, and said unto him, Behold, the man has appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And so we see here it says that Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Are you the man that spoke unto the woman? And he said, I am. So verse 12, Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. I love that. His first thing to the prophet is the same exact thing that Mary said to Gabriel when she told him she was going to give birth to the Messiah. I'm okay with whatever you want, God. So before they do anything, they just say, now let your words come to pass. Or whatever you say, I will do it. There are many times you read in your Bible, or maybe you hear a teaching from me or someone else, and you hear it and you go, I really don't want to do that. It is crucial to start off your time with the Lord. You know, your time when you come to church or you're listening online and you, before you even get there to say, God, whatever you say, I'm committing right now to do it, whatever it is. I can tell you that is almost always the hardest prayer for me to pray because seven out of 10 times, I'm already expecting what God's going to tell me I need to do. <laughs> and I've been fighting him on. I've been stubborn about but it's a lot easier in that moment when you make that request or make that commitment ahead of time than when the Lord begins to instruct you to follow his instructions. And so they say, we want whatever you want, God. That's the best answer to start off with the Lord. Now let your words come to pass. And then he asks the question, how shall we order the child? The word there means what shall our plan be? Since his child is clearly special, how should we do this? What's the plan? And how shall we do unto him? What will his work be? So in other words, what's the plan for us? And then what is your plan for him so we can help prepare him for that? And so the angel already answered both of those questions at the first meeting with his wife, but he repeats it here for Manoah's benefit. Verse 13, And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat, 
of anything that comes of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray you, let us detain you until we have made ready a kid for you. So he gets the same instructions that she heard before. There's no difference there. But it would be impolite in that culture to not offer this man, if he's a prophet, hospitality. So Manoah insists that he share a meal with them. The word here for detain, I pray you, let us detain you. It means let us keep you from going where you were planning to go and come and have a meal at our home. And so the angel said unto him, Manoah, verse 16, though you detain me, I'm okay being stopped on where I'm headed, but I'm not going to eat your food. The word there, bread, is just a generic word for food. I'm not going to eat your food. And then he pauses. We aren't told why he says he's not going to eat their food, but it seems to be a hint from the angel that he's not a local prophet. He says, okay, I'll I'll let you stop me, but I'm not coming over for dinner. And then he pauses. There's a semicolon there. And so the idea is they're supposed to go, what does that mean? (laughs) And I kind of think Manoah is kind of the duller one here. She's a little bit more adept to figuring out the situation because she's already said he kind of looked like an angel and I was kind of afraid when I saw him. He was pretty awesome. And he's just going, come on over for a meal. And so he pauses to wait, give him time to think about what he's saying. But since it doesn't sink in, he gives him another clue. He says next, he goes, but if you offer a burnt offering, well, then you have to offer it unto the Lord. And then it tells us, for Manoah did not realize, didn't know that he was an angel of the Lord. So more than blessing the man of God for the good prophecy he gave them, which was just how things operated back then. It's like Ahab, the king, when he goes, I hate him. I put him in jail because he never says anything good about me. That's how people treated prophets back then. They treated it like a horoscope. If it was good, yay, that's for me. If it was bad, oh, I don't believe any of that stuff. And so when someone gave you a good report, you treated them well. It'd be like slipping the pastor at 20 because you decided to go soft on him that morning because you knew the topic you were going to talk about was going to be convicting to him. And so the guy goes here, he goes, I'm not one of those prophets. In fact, I'm not a prophet at all. But I will stick around. I will stick around if you'll worship the Lord. So he steers them in that direction. And at this point, Manoah starts to think, who is this guy? So he just flat out asks, verse 17. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is your name? Since you won't let me give you a gift for giving us this good prophecy, what is your name so that when your sayings come to pass, we may do you honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? The word there, secret, means that which is too wonderful to comprehend. That's interesting. God responds this way two other times in Scripture. In Genesis 32, 29, when the Lord's wrestling with Jacob, at the very end, before the Lord leaves, Jacob says, what's your name? And I know it didn't probably happen this way, but I always see it this way. The Lord looks at him and goes, really? You don't know who I am? And he basically tells me, he goes, why are you asking my name? You already know who I am. A similar situation is in the New Testament when the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he goes, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing Jesus says to him, he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why do you call me good? Only God's good. 
You recognize something about me that's unique, and I'm not just another dude, I'm not just another guy? That's what he says to him. He's trying to get his attention. And the angel says the same exact thing here. He says, you're asking my name because you see I'm different than any other prophet you've met, but you need to take the next step. That's when you'll really experience blessing. Not doing things the old way, but stepping into the right way. You know, isn't it sad? We think we know what we need to do to be blessed. So we strive and we stress to get blessed when all along God's just trying to give it to us for free. Manoah still doesn't get it, but he decides to take the angel's advice, verse 19. So Manoah took a kid, the goat, and he brought with it a meat offering. He adds a grain offering to the meal he was going to prepare. The grain offering was for when you wanted to dedicate your service to the Lord. It was a little bit less strict than a Nazarite vow. It was when you would basically say, Lord, I want to serve you for this portion of my life. And then you would come and bring a grain offering. It was the only bloodless offering you could bring to the Lord. And it was for service. So he's symbolizing here, Lord, we are dedicating our lives to serve you by raising this child properly. Everything the angel told us to do, even though he doesn't think it's an angel yet, he says, we'll do it. So he brings that in addition to the kid he had prepared for the meal that will now be a burnt offering. And so it says that Manoah took a kid with a grain offering and he offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, something extraordinarily. And Manoah and his wife looked on while it happened. So what did he do? Verse 20, for it came to pass that when the flame went up towards heaven from off the, I love it, the Bible calls it the altar. This was the most biblical altar you can find because in the Bible, God said, if you're going to build an altar, you can't put any tool to it. Now, obviously that was different for the altar of sacrifice in the tabernacle because God told them how to build that. But if you were going to make an altar to the Lord out wherever, and just to make it to him, it had to be no tool, just rocks compiled together. And so that's what this guy did. He put on a rock, like the Bible says. And it says that as the flame was going up to burn the meat off the rock there, whatever he put the barbecue there on the rock, it says that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame up to heaven through the flame in the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground because now they get it. This is not just a man. It's not just a prophet. This was, they think it's the Lord. Verse 21. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. He's just telling us here ahead of time that he never came back. And that's when Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. He sees him go up and then he's gone. And so Manoah knew at that point that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. That's the normal response when someone sees an angel. But again, his wife's a bit sharper, resting in God's word instead of overwhelming feelings. Because she says unto him, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received the burnt offering and the grain offering at our hands. Another point I want to make, neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. In other words, if the Lord wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted your offering and number two, he would have never told us that we have a job to do to raise a child. We can't do that if we're dead. The angel's message required them to raise a child, therefore killing them can't be God's plan. And this is why we have to know God's word. It dispels powerful fears and it corrects wrong ideas about God. So we need to spend time learning God's word so we can know it. But in closing, two paths. I mean, Jephthah 
he chose to take matters into his own hands. Samson's parents sought the Lord for what to do. Jephthah escalated the problem. Samson's parents sought to worship. Even though they were ignorant on some issues, they sought to worship. So you can't say, well, Jephthah, he had had a rough life and he wasn't spiritual. Well, these guys had some wrong ideas too, but they chose to worship. The other judges we saw that followed Jephthah, they sought to build their own kingdom. But Samson's parents submitted to the king of kings. So which path will you choose? Choose this one, the one that Samson's parents chose. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word because it's living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we need it, especially in these times, Lord. We are living in a time of crises, much like Samson's parents were, Manoah and his wife. Much like Jephthah was, his whole life seemed to be one of crises. But Lord, we see two very different reactions to those crises. Lord, we want to be those who make the choice to go down the path, not that Jephthah went, but the path that Samson's parents took, to trust you, to obey you, to seek you, to worship you, and to submit to you, the King of Kings. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to prosper during this time, to grow spiritually, not to become weaker spiritually. Lord, to abound in love to one another and to abound in love, Lord, towards our neighbor, to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs your truth and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.